Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Welcome back, prom party. Hello! We are saying goodbye to Pride Month. R.I.P. this year's Pride Month. What a what a movie that we are ending Pride Month with, though. Like, I'm so excited. Can I just say, like, this is not my first time seeing this movie. I did see it last year as well. But while searching for it on our Roku, I ha- uh, take a big umbrage with the fact that this is categorized as LGBTQ and comedy for genre. <laughs> yeah, I mean, comedy, yes, black comedy, That's, so to speak. That is not the genres you lead with with this movie. You are going to bamboozle someone. <laughs> I love this movie so very much. I was trying to figure out the first time I saw it, um, but it is one that I watched once and then couldn't shut up about for a very long period of time and knew that I wanted to talk about this movie. And friends, this is a movie we could not talk about alone. Um, So we have a guest this week, and I'm very excited to introduce to you all, hopefully you are familiar with her work previously at Shudder, or her work at Fangoria, or her work over at Slashfilm. We have Ariel Fisher with us this week. Hi, Ariel. Hi. I'm I'm like waving. I don't know why this isn't a visual medium. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited to have you here, and I knew we wanted to do Shiva Baby, and I was like, there's no way I can do Shiva Baby without having Ariel here. Like, it's a mandatory. Oh, I'm so glad I'm so, I'm so wildly associated with this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we actually had this realization before we were starting, but last week's episode, Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael, we had Dr. Ken Schneck with us, and then you're here with us, and we're like, wow, we closed out Pride Month with, like... Two queer Jewish guests. What a what a happenstance this is. Yes. <laughs> and also the comedy categorization isn't that absurd, but we can talk more about that in a bit. Absolutely. Uh, we will. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we are here to talk about Shiva Baby. And Ariel, if you had to explain to somebody what Shiva Baby is about, what is this movie? I think the best way to explain Shiva Baby or to kind of summarize it is a young bisexual woman attends a shiva for someone in her distant family and the normal things that happen at shivas happen and chaos breaks (laughs) loose this is this is like i am viscerally familiar with this entire (laughs) setting so it's like that's the best way to go about it is just a young woman goes to a shiva and hell breaks loose (laughs) <laughs> so, for our listeners who may not know what a shiva is or what 
a shiva entails. Would you mind providing a little bit of education to kind of explain the culture of what we're walking into here? Why, BJ? I thought you'd never ask. Um, (laughs) So uh, a shiva is, um, it's a religious practice in Judaism. It's a religious and slash or cultural practice. Uh, basically a celebration of life uh, after a funeral, which for for Jews, we bury our dead real quick. Um, it's usually within a couple of days. Uh, so you the funerals all happen really quickly. And then a shiva takes place over the course of traditionally seven days um, at the house of the mourners. So where the person lived or their immediate next of kin, so their parents or their children if they were elderly etc 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 and after the funeral you all gather at the shiva house that's what it's referred to as and you eat jews we mourn with eating so you get together and you share stories about the about the deceased you remember them fondly you eat food you catch up with family you're it's it's essentially a celebration of life um and there's also Prayer, it depends on how it kind of gets played out. In some cases where people are very religious, there's, you know, you say the mourner's Kaddish uh, at sundown. Only men can say the mourner's Kaddish, so the women stand in the back and, you know, kind of just say amen along, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that goes on for seven days. So uh, following the initial shiva, Family members come during specific times of day for seven days out of that period. And you kind of divvy up a schedule so that the main mourners, the immediate relatives of the family, don't have to, they don't cook for themselves. So you take shifts with like someone is going to take uh, lunch that day and someone else is going to take dinner. And every day that week you have like the schedule of, okay, who's bringing lunch today? Who's bringing lunch tomorrow? And you just, you know, whoever wants to come over, comes over. And sometimes it's a little bit more formal. Sometimes it's a little bit less formal. And you all just gather and you're there for the mourners, essentially, as kind of a support network. And, like, I remember when my, um, when my Zeta died, my dad's father, he, uh, I went to the Shiva with my dad every single day oh at my, my grandmother's gosh. place. Oh, yeah. That's normal. Like, when, because my dad is one of the main, was one of the main mourners, mm-hmm. you, like, he would go every day regardless. I technically didn't have to, but I consider it a responsibility. Um, so I went with him every single day, and I helped my grandmother organize all of their photographs for the entirety of that week. So I was going through boxes of old photos of the family and my dad took me to get um, photo albums and I organized all of them for her and organized all of like the doubles and everything like that. So she could actually look at pictures of them when they were younger and when, you know, when he was in the army and when he was, you know, a drummer and all of this stuff. And that was some of like, that's one of, the reasons why I, I actually really love Shiva. It's one of my favorite Jewish traditions, which is weird because it's so closely co- connected to death, but it's connected mm-hmm. to the process and experience of grief as well. So it's deeply embedded in how you process loss 
and how you come together. And sometimes it's really beautiful. Like when my aunt Claudia passed away, we had her shiva was shorter just because of pragmatism because she was a very pragmatic woman and my my uncle is a very pragmatic man and who has seven days so they did it for about half a week and instead of saying the mourner's kaddish or instead of just saying the mourner's kaddish we all sat around and kind of talked about our memories of her and each took turns sharing stories about claudia and how much we loved her and and what they meant to us and the the rabbi who led that uh, Shiva was also a woman. So it's, you know, they were, they're much more progressive than my grandmother and my grandfather <laughs> were. But it's this really wonderful opportunity for the family to get together. And the first day of Shiva, immediately after the funeral, is always, always, always a clusterfuck. <laughs> it is chaos because it is the, it is definitely. Like, it's kind of like a film festival where the initial weekend, it's all like the red carpets. It's everybody's showing up. It's a lot more formal. And then as it goes on, it gets a little bit more relaxed. Few pe- fewer people start showing up and it's kind of the essentials. So <laughs> it's that first day and the first couple of days is when you have the relatives that you haven't seen in like 10 years. You know, mm-hmm. I haven't seen you since you were this high. Mm-hmm. And when all of this kind of chaos can unfold and usually when it does what's so interesting as you're talking about all of this is i kept thinking about how many other cultures are essentially borrowing traditions from like shiva without realizing they're doing it like whenever somebody has you know died in my life or whatever i guess in the last like five six years i should say specifically one of the first things that happens, like, you know, following the GoFundMe for funeral expenses, because who can afford that these days, um, <laughs> is usually the sign up for a meal tree or like mm. a, a meal delivery of like, on this day, Sharon is going to go give lunch. And on this day, so-and-so is bringing a casserole. And it's always like, a casserole. It's always a fucking casserole. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was sitting there and it's like, I don't know if these people who do this realize that they're essentially like borrowing a, a tradition from Shiva, like, and not realizing that that's what it is. Um, and that's where it's rooted. I think that's really an interesting thing. Um, I do wonder how much of it is, because there are so many overlapping qualities between different cultures. And I think unless you're a wasp, for the most part, it involves food <laughs> and feeding people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So- food, food is definitely a big part of it. Um, I know for for me, I have like a very weird thing because my family is pretty secular, but the extended family is is pretty religious. And usually like my direct family, it's very much been like, cremate me and throw me in the sea. Like, I don't want <laughs> shit. I don't want a funeral. I don't want anything. I don't care. And I love that because that means I have a lot less to deal with 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 my family, which is lovely. Um, but I have close friends where it's like, no, there's like a big luncheon after. It's like a huge deal. There's a lot of you know, prayer involved. So much, I think of like, I guess like the Christian Catholic way of mourning. It's just purely about God, the same way like weddings tend to not even be about the couple. They're about the religious aspect. Oh yeah. Which it's, is it's, weird. It's not a celebration. Like if you're having a good time, you get yelled at. Yeah. Like <laughs> you're, you're supposed to at least pretend like you're sad at the like funeral after party after the burial and then you'd have to just like begrudgingly put up with relatives and 
everyone's like, oh, I haven't seen you in forever. Oh, it should have been under better circumstances. We'll do it again sometime. And, and then, then you, you don't and until you someone don't else dies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so Shiva Baby is taking place the right after the funeral it's actually kind of a point of contention throughout it of like you weren't even at the funeral um but before the after party (laughs) but before we dive in any deeper it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show welcome to the morning announcements as a reminder you can support the show on patreon patreon.com backslash this ends at prom over at our Patreon, we offer things like our schedule ahead of time, wonderful playlists curated by Harmony, our Sadie Hawkins dance episodes focusing on teen boy movies, and we are currently going through our TV Homecoming series through Pen15. We offer a free bonus episode every month for our subscribers at only $1. If now is not the right time to support financially, we totally understand. All we ask is that if you love the show, you send us to a friend. You give us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcasts and you tag us on social media, hashtag this ends at prom or at this ends at prom. Alrighty. So coming back in, Harmony, how did you learn about this movie? I assume it was me. <laughs> it was not specifically you. It was Ooh. that um I don't remember when in the year this came out last year, but People had been talking about it either because just the circles we roll in, a lot of people see films earlier than most people because they're at festivals. And it was a strong contender for a lot of people I know. It's like top 10 films of the year. And they're all saying like, it's not a horror movie, but everything about it feels like a horror movie. And it's so tense and it makes me so uncomfortable. And it's really short, but it feels agonizingly long because you're just uncomfortable. And when I finally sat down to watch it, I, I had a response that we'll, <laughs> well, no. we'll get into but it was it's not a bad response it was just I felt this differently than everyone else I think and uh, that'll be a conversation we'll have but it wasn't you specifically it was just a lot of word of mouth mm-hmm. from people that we know yeah I saw this one at a festival uh, I was very obsessed with it immediately and I am very much of the, the the collection of people who were like, this feels like a horror movie, but isn't a horror movie. Um, because while I am not Jewish, I have absolutely been in a lot of places where all I want to do is run away, but I can't due to like familial or cultural obligation. And you're kind of trapped there and you're kind of forced to hear people talk about you in front of you as if you're not there and make like very uh, personal comments because it's it's a group of people who have known you your entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that can be pretty agonizing. <laughs> um, yeah. So I relate a lot <laughs> to that experience in this movie. Um, so for Ariel, I'm curious, how was it for you the first time you saw this? Oh, it was like going home. it was an oddly like I it was so funny because I watched it with my husband I think you know him his name's Jonathan hi John Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I had been I had been told about it kind of the same way that Harmony found out about this I had been told about it by a lot of different people Um, I had seen bits and pieces eventually I saw the poster with the bagels and the Mm -hmm. cream cheese dress and was in love and Mm -hmm. was like okay yeah this is for me And people started reaching out to me, specifically friends, but they were reaching out and asking, have you seen Shiva Baby yet? Like, Ariel, have you seen this movie? 
I'm like, no, not yet. Why? He's like, okay, well, you need to tell me what you think when you do, because I, th- I need to know your thoughts. Like, a, a f- like four or five different people had done that. And I was like, okay, I think I need to just watch this fucking thing now, because I have no idea what's going on here. And it just felt, it was, oh my God, I've been to this shiva. I have mm-hmm. been to this shiva a million times. And it's just... Like, it's hilarious. So much of it is absolutely hilarious. Most of it is rage-inducing and anxiety-inducing, and it Uh definitely feels like a great contender for an A24 horror movie, Uh especially with with the the score. There's something about the score that's very specifically, like, A24 horror. Uh Mm -hmm. But it just... Like, it it was comforting for me, in a way, because so much of the way some of the elder Jews were behaving was so familiar. And for John, it was agonizing because John (laughs) doesn't have a lot of family here in Mm -hmm. like in the United States. He has his mom, his dad and his sister in where we live. And he has a couple of other relatives elsewhere in the States. And otherwise the rest of his family is all in Israel. Mm -hmm. And He gets to see them. It's not like he doesn't get to see them. But the point being that most of my family is in Canada. Mm -hmm. They are, you know, on my mom's side, there's my mom. There was her sister, Claudia, who passed away, uh, her husband, Jacob, and her son, Simon. So my cousin. And then there's my aunt, Dora, my mom's eldest sister, who um, has my cousins, Tammy, Alex, and Dennis, who all all of whom are married and have at least one child. So that that alone is a lot. And then yeah. there's my brother and his partner. And there's me and John. And then there's, you know, the cousins that extend from there. And then there's the cousins on my dad's side. And their kids. And my aunt on my dad's side. And, you know, a lot of family members. So I... Th- there was always somebody dying. <laughs> so like, you, so you go to a lot of shivas and you go to a lot of funerals and you, you know, you see members of the family. Like I went to the shiva for my uncle Robbie's mother, Ilonka, who was also a, a, like she survived Auschwitz. And we went to her funeral and her shiva as a family. That was my cousin Tammy's grandmother. Mm-hmm. And like my uncle Michael's parents when they respectively died we went to their shivas as well and then there's all of their family and extended relatives that come to that and like the other sides of various families that all kind of come together in this weird amalgamation of humans Uh and it's it's massive like it's absolutely massive so i have been through these kinds of shivas a million times well not a million but like a lot (laughs) close enough close enough and I'm watching it going, oh, man, this brings back memories. And John's watching it going, this is fucking horrifying. Get me out of here. <laughs> yeah, I'm just def- terrible. I'm definitely the like, oh, I hate this. Oh, I hate it. Like, I love it because it's so just brilliantly written. I think all of the characters know exactly like what they're supposed to be bringing. Um, and it's just it just but the tension is just palpable in there. And I like could feel like the world getting smaller around me. And I think it's just also because Rachel Senat is so 
incredible in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where we should start in terms of like unpacking it. So let's talk about Danielle as a character. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll start first with you, Harmony. How do you feel about Danielle? Oh, Men, many of the problems that exist in this movie come with the fact that she is young and arrogant and never thinks her worlds will collide and she'll never get caught in a lie. And it's just, a, I, I wouldn't even say a comedy of errors. A, a tragedy of errors is, is more <laughs> of how I would describe this movie and putting all of these elements in one house with her. <laughs> Ariel, how about you? How do you feel about Danielle? I mean, that seems like a very accurate description. <laughs> she definitely, she, she, she lacks, she's, it's, it's fascinating watching her though, because all, all of the, the things that you've said, Harmony, are completely true, like dead on. Um, but the, the interesting thing with her is that she comes with this familial obligation and this burden of legacy. And it's not even legacy the way we think of it in terms of, you know, you must make us proud because you're, you're, you know, your dad's dad went to Harvard or some uh-huh. bullshit like that. Like, it's not that kind of legacy. It's the, you have this whole dynamic of all of the family members coming to her and, you know, fetching over like, oh, you, you look too skinny. You need to eat and you need to do this. And what are you doing for school? And what's this? And what's that? And da, 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 da. And it's because, you know, there's a lot of pressure on both parents and their children to do better than their parents did to have a good life, to give their kids a good life so that they can go on to have a good life and so on and so forth so that you can survive. Mm -hmm. So, so much of that is rooted in like the way life used to exist in the shtetls in Europe before the war and dating back literal centuries where everybody kind of did everything together. So when they're saying, you know, I feel so bad for your mother because well, what if she doesn't continue on the family line? And then what if there are fewer Jews in the world? And, you know, mm-hmm. what if something happens and all of these, like there's so much weight and pressure on her shoulders. So she's rebelling in this way, right? She has this different approach to life. She is different because mm-hmm. she's bisexual and her parents don't understand it. And it's, oh, well, it's a phase. So you'll marry a nice man and you'll fall in love and it'll be mm-hmm. great, but you'll marry a man. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. maybe I won't, maybe I'll do things differently. And there's a lot of anger there and a lot of resentment, but a lot of guilt and also a lot of shame and a lot of reluctance. And it's really interesting seeing her specifically contrasting with Maya, who is doing the things that her mother wants her to do. She's becoming a lawyer. She's she's having a very good, stable future for herself. She's establishing that. Mm-hmm. But she's also unabashedly herself. She's vulgar when she wants to be. She says whatever she wants to say. And clearly her mother resents her for it. But uh-huh. she's but she's unabashedly herself. And Dan, uh, Danny feels so much more trapped and reserved than Maya. She's so less willing to play the game in any way and do something to make her parents proud, but still live mm-hmm. her life honestly and openly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so she's compartmentalizing herself and she's hiding herself from everybody. And like you said, Harmony, she thinks that she can, you know, she thinks that she can keep her worlds from colliding and she thinks that she can keep things separate because she's been able to for however long. Mm-hmm. And whenever she gets them involved, they, oh, well, it's a phase. 
You know, it's, it, it immediately gets dismissed. So she puts up walls and barriers because she cares what they think. Mm-hmm. And it hurts. So all of these things are true. And there's arrogance and hubris and this really bizarre mm-hmm. sense of invulnerability that just gets absolutely shattered. And the only way through it is to stop bullshitting yourself. Oh, yeah, we have that at like, that's what the how this movie opens is she is powerful because that's like what she admits about like, well, I love uh, taking sugar daddy's money because it gives Mm -hmm. me a sense of power. And that's how the film opens. And that collapses immediately. And it's you get like infantilized by your parents because you're suddenly sucked back down to being like 12 years old and just paraded around and everyone's constantly reminding you that you used to be chubby and they made fun Mm -hmm. of you for being chubby but now they say you're too skinny so it doesn't really matter what you do because they're going to talk shit behind your back the whole time anyway (laughs) it's not even behind your back it is to your face Uh (laughs) uh-huh and it's but it's they're concerned it's all with love you know you just look too skinny Mm -hmm. you need to eat more Yeah, I because this is a conversation I know that we'll get into a little bit later, but there is in good ways and in bad ways, a lot of crossover between Italian culture and Jewish culture um, that I recently learned is based on where a lot of our families lived um, when they emigrated to America. Um, Jewish people and Italian people frequently got pushed together in similar neighborhoods because we share a lot of physical traits and because of that, there's been some cultural sharing. Um, so as an Italian person who has fluctuated weight my entire life, I have absolutely been that person where it's like, oh my gosh, look at you. You look great. Oh, but wait, what happened? Um, is there something wrong? You look too thin. You should be eating more. But then if I do eat, like, d- is that this, is that your second plate? Why are you getting another plate? And it's like, oh my God, pick a lane, people. <laughs> like, I can't balance this. Um, so yeah, I have a lot of feelings about watching them talk about consistently how like fat she used to be but then now she's too skinny and oh well so-and-so thinks that you're anorexic and you're just like holy shit um yeah there's so much just mental chaos going on but I love that you brought up kind of the comparisons that we have with Danielle and Maya and Maya is played by Molly Gordon who um any of listeners may know she plays triple a in Booksmart um that is who she is she's a wonderful actress I wish she got more work I don't understand mm-hmm. why she's not being cast more because I think she's fantastic but I she... did not realize why I recognized her yep now, that's her I'm very happy you brought that up. <laughs> um but she as a character because you're right she's kind of following that pathway that is expected of her of going to law school and because she has that going for her she can kind of get away a little bit more with her like eccentricities of you know her explorations of 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 sexuality her vulgarity the way that she communicates because well at least they don't have to worry about her in this aspect whereas with Danny i mean she's studying like what what we think is like I think like gender theory in in media is what I'm gathering what she's studying, but it's not made a hundred percent clear because we only learn what she's doing based on how everybody else talks about it, and they don't seem to understand it either. Like there's a part where she even screams like that's not my major. It's a lens. It's, it's a lens. <laughs> so it's like okay, so you're you're definitely studying like theory, <laughs> which I understand this conversation as well because trying to explain what I do for a living um, to my family members, either my direct ones or my extended ones, I sometimes feel like I'm going to short circuit because it makes so much sense to me, but because it's not like a practical, 
you go to med school and you become a doctor. You go to law school and you become a lawyer. You go to you study education, you become a teacher. Like it doesn't have that like direct pathway. It, it's not tangible, and there's a yes. little bit more hope and praying. So a lot of older generations like can't wrap their heads around it. They're like, "What do you mean you publish on the internet? What does that mean? Like, do you get paid How for do that? You get paid to do that? And it's like, yeah. Yeah, I mm-hmm. promise you, I do get paid. It goes into my account every two weeks. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so like, there's a lot of that going on. So because she has that, and then on top of it, you know, she doesn't have at the time, like, a boyfriend. Um, They do know that she has a history with Maya. They went to prom together, and, you know, as Maya loudly says, they... She gave her her first orgasm, um, because Maya gives no fucks. Um, So you can tell that there's a little bit of worry that the family has of, like, oh, my God, is our daughter gonna go off to college, study gender studies, become a lesbian. Like it's very much that is like the subtext that's happening. <laughs> and they're so they're they're worried about her from all angles. And what I find so interesting is when we first meet Danielle, she's with the sugar daddy. She is very much in control of the situation. She is very much like, hey, did you forget? Like, bitch, you owe me money, which is nice. Uh, We see she has uh, underarm hair. Like, she's not wearing a bra. She's, like, Mm -hmm. very much freewheeling. And then when we see her, like, getting herself ready to attend Shiva, it is immediately, like, got to put the stockings on, got to wear the button up and button all the way up to the neck, got to pull your hair back into a a ponytail so it's nice and kept out of your face. You got to put the blazer on, get a little bit, like it's a funeral, it's got to be conservative. And it's like, oh, you just put that costume on immediately because you know what to expect. You know that like the social world and the the standards of behavior have changed completely once you have left that apartment and now you're in shiva like this is this is a different world you've got to play this role you got to put on this costume and that is so interesting to see because again relatable so relatable (laughs) your behavior right now is completely unacceptable okay i think you need to relax you don't you tell me to relax you are flirting with everyone you are chugging wine you are sitting on a table what is this? A party? And I thought I told you no funny business with Maya. I don't know what that means. Oh, yes, you do. Don't play dumb with me. I thought you were done experimenting. You think everyone that's by is experimenting? You don't know anything. You have zero gaydar. Excuse me, kid. I lived through New York in the 80s. My gaydar is strong as a bull. Um, so we, once we get to the Shiva, we then start to meet the family. I love <laughs> I love Daniel's family um, so very much. Uh, we have Polly Draper is her mom. We have uh, Fred Malamud, who's the dad, two actors that I absolutely adore. And I'm curious how you feel, Ariel, because I feel like I can't speak on whether or not this is like authentic Jewish parents, like because I am not a Jewish person. But there's so much love that these parents have. But at the same time, I think you get these little like, sprinkles of like oh I've seen these parents I know who these parents are like my Jewish friends this reminds me of their parents um so I'm curious how do you view her parents oh yeah they're lovely like they're 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 chaos but they're lovely (laughs) it's there's it's so bizarre because I I I remember an ex of mine kind of thinking that that kind of behavior the talking over each other which is very much kind of a BJ, I think you told me what it's called at one point. It's like kind of, I can't remember what the term is because Italians do it too. You kind of like talk with each other as well as to each other. Mm -hmm. And you kind of, it it sounds like interrupting, but it's not. 
and it's actually perfectly fine and it's not disrespectful and my ex like never really understood anything like that and and would look at people like Danielle's parents and be like oh god they're awful to each other and they're they're so obnoxious and they're horrible and it's like no they're not they're actually really loving and compassionate and very very caring they're just this is this is how Jews are a lot and it's sometimes gets written off as something that it isn't and it's kind of like you just don't understand like it's not mm-hmm. You know, but the dad is so full of love and Mm -hmm. this eagerness to provide and to be a sense, a a source of stability and to really just kind of be there for everyone and come up with good ideas, come up with solutions, be able to help as many people as possible. And he reminds me of my dad that way. Like, not to the same extent. My dad is much smaller and does not have a big bushy beard. Although he did. But (laughs) (laughs) he has the same puppy-like demeanor of, no, come, we'll make room. Like, yeah, no, absolutely. Come and do this and we'll we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll get this working. Not a problem. And kind of that attitude. Mm -hmm. And with the mom, it's... I I knew moms like that when I was growing up. There were, Mm -hmm. you know, she reminds me of... One girl that I went to school with, she reminded she reminds me of her mom. Mm-hmm. And I went to a school in a fairly Jewish neighborhood, so it wasn't a Jewish school, but there were a lot of Jewish kids there, which I never got again after that. Mm-hmm. So this was elementary school. And yeah, I've definitely seen these parents before. And it's it's incredibly accurate. I, I'm still shocked by the fact that neither Polly Draper or um, the actress who plays Danielle... Oh, Rachel Sennott. Yeah. And and that neither of them are Jewish because they both have the right air. Mm -hmm. And also they have, I mean, Rachel Sennott has, has the, she has the nose. That's the, it's, it's, she has this specific aesthetic and Mm -hmm. it's kind of wonderful in many different ways. But there's an element of Polly Draper's performance that is, a little, I don't want to say unnatural because she is a natural, but there is, especially now that I know that she's that she's not Jewish, mm-hmm. some of it feels a little cliched, but right. So, but that, not in a bad way necessarily, like just kind of in the way that would happen if you weren't Jewish. Right. So what I found really interesting, because once I learned this, I did a little digging and Emma Seligman, who directed this. Um, so she said that Rachel Sennott is was who starred in the short film version of Shiva Baby. And when she was looking for financing, um, Rachel Sennott is kind of like a star on the rise is the way I can describe her. Um, like she's going to be in the speaking of A24 horror movies. She's mm-hmm. going to be in an actual A24 horror movie of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies uh, later this summer. Like, she's about to explode. And when looking for financing for this movie, it seems like she she hasn't outright said this is the reason, but it very much is like everybody was only willing to make this movie if this was the star because they knew this is a star-making vehicle for her and she didn't feel right um, casting someone else. And I understand that. And Emma Seligman, who directed this, is Jewish. So, um, you know, I understand that. And then in terms of... Polly Draper's casting as the mom. So apparently Emma Seligman did reach out to higher profile Jewish actresses trying to find a mom and she couldn't find one. So she then went to her own mother and was like, 
who do you think should play this role? And I guess her her mom is the one that said Polly Draper. And it seems to be this cute little like, well, mom, I'm not saying who would you want to play you in a movie. And her mom is very much like, uh, yeah, but if I could, it'd be Polly Draper. Um, so <laughs> I, it seems to be like mom kind of fantasy booked herself into this movie, which I think is really cute. Um, but what I found very fascinating is that Polly Draper married into a Jewish family. So Polly Draper's children are Alex and Nat Wolf. Um, I was first introduced to them on the Nickelodeon show, The Naked Brothers Band. Um, but most of you out there, again, A24 horror, um, the brother from Hereditary, and he's also in Old and a lot of other things. Like, those are her children. So her children mm-hmm. are Jewish. Um, but she is not. She just married into the family. So she has proximity to, like, Jewish people are part of her family, and she married into it, but she herself is not Jewish. So I do have, like... Again, with you, like, there's, like, a little bits of it where it's, like, this feels a little bit presentational, but are you being presentational or are you emulating somebody that you know that's in your family? Like, there's no way for us to to know for sure. With her, it's clear that regardless, all of it is done with love. Absolutely. Like, you can tell Mm -hmm. it's not done as a caricature. And it's not done because I've, you know, the only Jews I've ever experienced were on Seinfeld or, you know, something like that. So, what a reference. They're, I mean, but it's true. It's true. They're Jews. Yeah. But, but like, it's it's very clear that it's done with love and affection. But yes. It's, it's also clear that it's, there's something not quite there. But you, but again, I didn't know that she wasn't Jewish until today. Mm-hmm. So, what does that say? <laughs> right. I mean, and there was a, it, I think we can kind of go into this discussion a little bit because I was thinking about the different actors, like who could they have been reaching out to that they couldn't get? Um, and my brain at first was like, who who do I know that plays a lot of Jewish moms? And the one that came up immediately was Andrea Martin, who is not Jewish. Yes. She's Armenian. And yeah. I was like, but she's yeah. played so many Jewish moms. <laughs> but she's yep. also played, you know, Greek moms, and she's mm-hmm. also not Greek. Um, so I was like, oh, that is a whole thing. Um, <laughs> because there is a, a concept that exists in Hollywood, unfortunately, called Jew face, which is when people um, who are not Jewish play Jewish characters. And I think with any sort of portrayal like that, there is a spectrum because there are people who, like Polly Draper, are doing what is clearly a loving interpretation and presentation and is done so with respect and love. But then it can teeter into, like, horrific stereotypes that, like, are so uncomfortable to watch that you... Oh, God, it's just awful. Um, (laughs) And, you know, then there's also the, the... we brought it up earlier, but there's a, a, a very interesting trend of Italian people that play Jewish. Um, that happens quite frequently because, again, we have similar, like, appearance features. So Hollywood is usually like, oh, they have thick hair and a big nose. Guess they can be Jewish. And it's like, that's a problem. Um, <laughs> that is wild. But something that I, I, I did want to bring up, because um, Harmony never gets a chance to talk about this. Um mm. Harmony. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to tell the tell the the crowd here um what it was like growing up looking the way that you do in Ohio? Um I was the butt of many many Jewish jokes in Northeast Ohio based purely on having a big nose and curly hair 
And also, I like we talked about this a little bit more on our Risk Cutters episode. I had a, a lot of love for like Eastern European music, specifically because of like Gogol Bordello and then later oh. bands as a result, um, like World Inferno, Friendship Society, et cetera, et cetera. And to the untrained ear, any kind of like old world Eastern European music can, just sounds Jewish. And so I was on the receiving end of a, a, a quite a bit of anti-Semitism, which is so strange because I'm Hungarian. Part of my family is, is Hungarian, but they're Hungarian Jews. There are yeah. many of us. Right. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, like, no, I grew up Lutheran and Catholic, so that's oh, not yeah, at no, all in my thing. So it's just like, that's just, I, people have an idea and they just run with it, I guess. Mm. Yeah, it's it's just very, I was like, that's very peculiar. And I mean, I don't have it anymore because I broke my nose when I was 13 and then they you know, shaved down my bump during the reconstruction of it. But uh, the Colangelo family knows has often been associated and confused for being Jewish uh, to the point where when Harmony and I got engaged, there's like this side-by-side profile picture of us and my cousin who does have the Colangelo nose was like, what the hell? How does Harmony have the nose and you don't? Um, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I know. But when I was younger, like that was definitely a thing where people, because I didn't go to church. So people asked me they're like wait are you jewish is that why you don't go to church i'm like no my parents just don't we just don't believe in god really in our house we're just secular and they're like oh i thought you were jewish i'm like why and they're like no reason and then because like they know that that's a fucked up thing to say um, no, please so tell they me more yeah please explain this why what is it about me that made you think this is it because i talk with my hands because that's also an offensive stereotype that's an off- yep. <laughs> um so, so yeah there's that that it's that's fucking wild to me because I uh, <laughs> there's so much to unpack here. I can yeah. imagine. Yes, <laughs> this isn't it's just like a suitcase to unpack. Like we have an entire fucking luggage store. Oh, we have trunks. There are trunks being brought in. <laughs> there like, is Fred an Astaire and Ginger Rogers ain't got shit. There is an trunks. entire baggage claim, like at yeah. an airport. <laughs> oh yeah, I just the amount of times I heard people act surprised when I would tell them I was Jewish. And then when I asked why, they'd say, well, your nose doesn't look Jewish. Mm. Like every single time. That's no one ever. Awful. The only people who ever thought, whoever immediately thought I was Jewish were people who um, were usually Israelis who know that the name Ariel is it's a, technically it's an Israeli male name the way it's spelled for me A R I E L, mm-hmm. but it's Ariel for for girls and I couldn't stand that as a kid and still now when people call me Ariel it kind of makes me wince because it's <laughs> way too too fluffy and girly and I hate it. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> but yeah, they would ask me. You know, they would say, "Are you Jewish?" I said, "Yeah, why? Your name's Ariel." It's like, "Oh my God, okay, you know, you understand." So. <laughs> And then, you know, the whole spiel, whereas everybody else just says, oh, your nose doesn't look Jewish. And I thought your parents just like the Little Mermaid. And no, thanks. I was born first. (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking that I was like, oh, man, Little Mermaid must have made this really confusing and complicated. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it was wonderful when I would retort with, "Uh, no, actually, Shakespeare. Thanks. My mom liked The Tempest in high school. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Which is technically correct. But yeah, no, the uh, that. Yeah, it's bizarre. How you kind of, it's a very, oh yeah, you blend moment 
of that is mm. and i think i'm i'm pissed that you guys had to go through that though that is wild and deeply un, un, un like not okay yeah but like that's <laughs> the weird thing is that like it's fucked up but also i'm was sitting there and like really reflecting on it when we had this conversation just very recently like we kind of had this thing between me and bj where i was like oh yeah this was just a thing and i didn't think anything of it because why how can you offend me i'm i wasn't jewish but then it's like oh no it's way more fucked up than i thought it was as like a 15 year old <laughs> right it's one of those things where in hindsight you you sit there and you think about it and you're like wait a minute what what was going on in their household where they felt like this was an appropriate thing to say to a stranger or like a classmate like what the fuck are they being fed that's what um and oh, yeah. it's just it's weird um and that's why like when i when i watch Shiva Baby because I also didn't know that Polly Draper and Rachel Summit were not Jewish until like honestly kind of recently and it was one of those things where in a weird way I liked that I couldn't tell because it then made the family feel so much more lived in and then when there were the moments that my brain flagged as like this is an extremely like Jewish expression or performance or actor because everybody else in this movie is Jewish. Like, those two are the only ones that are not. Everybody else is, and Emma Seligman made that, like, very much a priority. And, like, so, like, Jackie Hoffman is in this movie, who is one... She's a great Jewish mother character. She shows up all the time, and she's fantastic. Um, so when she shows up as, I think, it's, like, her Aunt Susan or her mom's cousin Susan, I don't know, and she starts talking and listening to her and Polly Draper talk with each other... I just like immediately fell into like this level of comfort where I was like, I know these people. Like I can hear their mm -hmm. conversations. This feels so real. They feel like people that have known each other for years. And it was really, really kind because again, with that weird cultural overlap that exists between like Italian families and Jewish families, I was like, I sound like, like this is, if Scorsese had directed this, this would be my family. Like, change literally nothing about the script except for a little bit of the verbiage so that it's more Italian expressions than it is Jewish expressions. This could be the same movie. And that is really wild to me. Um, and weirdly beautiful, like, the way that cultural crossover exists. It's just, this movie walks such a fine line, I think. Because in a worse director's hands, this movie has the risk of becoming, like, a caricature stereotype mess so quickly but because it's emma seligman's movie it never crosses that line for me and it very much feels like this is an authentic look at like a very specific cultural practice with a very specific type of family and lived experience and this is why like representation and authenticity is so important because it never gets weird does that make sense? Am I making sense or am I just completely yeah. talking out of my ass? No, it makes sense. It's there's there's something I had an interesting thought while I was watching it today, actually, ahead of this. And it's related to this because it is painfully authentic. Like it's anybody that I know who grew up in like Thornhill where I did in Ontario they look at this and it it this could be a, a shiva in the G, somewhere in the gta in the greater toronto area like that it would track it it just it's so familiar and everything about the house is familiar and the fixtures and the way the people are behaving and the way they speak and the way they sound and the way they feel and 
it's so painfully authentic that it's actually scary to watch. Yeah. And this is this is the specific like it's this might sound a little weird, but come with me on a thought journey. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> watching authentic portrayals of Jewishness that aren't rooted in either oppression or overly religious dogma and, you know, so on and so forth. I'm specifically thinking of uh, the movie with, I'm forgetting what it's called, um, with Rachel uh, McAdams and uh, Rachel Weiss. So the movie Disobedience. Yeah. So it makes me think of of that because it's kind of, and again, you've got the Jew face thing going on and you've got non-Jewish actors playing Jewish characters. Mm-hmm. And it's, again, you're dealing with kind of oppression and you're also dealing with um, religiousness and orthodoxy and all of this and how it impacts feelings of oppression and, and things like that. And it, it, at least in those situations, you can kind of turn to it and, and go and think empathetically. Mm-hmm. Like, you can watch a movie about the Holocaust and say, the Holocaust was bad. Mm-hmm. Right. So Jews went through some shit, as well as many other many other people, and uh, it was not good. And that's an easy thing to do and say, and an easy thing to feel. Mm-hmm. This movie is so authentic that watching it, uh, it is impossible to shut off the part of my brain that thinks in terms of how an anti-Semite would watch it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So... I'm really glad that you brought that point up because this is something that um, obviously like related, but not related, but Harmony and I have a lot of conversations about how it's pride month right now. And obviously mm-hmm. there's a lot of discourse of should there be kink at pride? Should there be this? But like there's a lot of these conversations and it becomes so difficult for queer people to have any sort of intercommunal conversations where we are critiquing one another or we are showing ourselves in lights that are not perfect yes we're just like you yes we should be treated equally look look at how great we are because Mm -hmm. any semblance of negativity or anything that could be criticized as being imperfect is so ripe for weaponization by people who want to cause legitimate harm Mm -hmm. so what has happened is now marginalized communities whether it's the queer community the black community jewish community anybody who is being targeted right now by these horrible like white supremacist groups we can't do any of our own intercommunal healing in any sort of public forum because we are essentially going to provide ammunition whether we want to or not because these people are so nefarious and terrible so like i hate that that's a thing that you had to think about but yes like, yeah, I don't. It's a thing that I think about all the time. Like when I watch a serious man, which is arguably, in my mind, one of the most brilliant Jewish movies ever made, mm-hmm. and my favorite Coen Brothers movie, I, 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 do, I do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just connected to this; it's literally connected to any media that it, that shows Jewishness in some kind of authentic way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, you're you're and absolutely right. Like, it's, I, I I don't even feel bad about it. I, I guess I had this kind of weird realization while I was watching it that as it's connected to, like, as a kid, that never happened. But as I've gotten older and I've been subjected to more anti-Semitism and I've, I've had to see, you know, 
how the world is and you Mm -hmm. know all of the protocols of the elders of zion bullshit that goes around and all of these this fear-mongering and the jews can you know run hollywood and oh they're all just like grubby with their big noses and and stuff and Mm -hmm. then you have like imagery like them the close-ups when she's having this panic attack of all of these people eating and i'm thinking this is so oh my god so many people would weaponize this this is Mm -hmm, so dangerous but it's not because it's just humans being human which we have a right to do and like it's it's the type of thing that i think i've just become more aware of as an adult Mm -hmm. which is really sad because it's like you get so used to persecution in some way shape or form Mm -hmm. that it permeates the way you process how you move through society every single day Mm -hmm. and it's bullshit and i hate it and stupid (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean you're absolutely right like because like there's some aspects of the movie that were i haven't like brought up intentionally because like one i don't trust people to you know not take things out of context because the world is a shitty place um and none of our listeners are shitty people you all are delightful um but (laughs) you know those like people do exist but there's so much stuff that goes on in this movie where you can tell that like danielle is having a generational divide with her parents in terms of she's kind of like the millennial who's breaking a little bit of these these traditions <laughs> and these life plans. Uh-huh. That is not necessarily like a Jewish thing. That is just no. the millennial generation thing. So many of us are breaking a lot of these like the, these patterns of generational trauma and to, to an anti-Semite, they could point to this and be like, aha, look at that. But like that's that's not what's happening here. Like this is like that aspect of this movie is that is a universal truth. That's why so many people can relate to this movie, even if they're not Jewish, because these are issues that exist in all of our cultures, in all of our families. And I think that's what oh, yeah. makes this movie again, like just so powerful and so beautiful is that like, I am not Jewish and this movie resonates with me deeper than a lot of coming of age movies because that experience is so specific. And mm-hmm. This is something I wanted to bring up to to kind of bring harmony in the fold of like, this movie gives me anxiety. You said this movie gives John anxiety. Um, <laughs> harmony was like, like, I want to say that after I watched this for the first time, or at least I knew the two of you had watched it. I don't know if I texted you or if I texted John, but one of them, I was like, between this and Uncut Gems, like, are you, you okay? Like, are your people okay? <laughs> like, because I remember that and I don't remember if it was to me or to John either, either because we would have shared it with each other. Yeah. Either <laughs> way, I was just like, the fuck, man? Like, there's so much stress. Um, but Harmony was like completely unaffected by either of those things, like did not have have the stress level of Shiva Baby, and I was the, like, I feel like I, I'm gonna crawl why. out of my skin. Like, how does this not affect you? So I would love Harmony to talk about like why this doesn't affect you. Okay, well, first of all, no, I was much more tense for Uncut Gems than this because Uncut Gems had had stakes in the way that this doesn't. For, at least for me, watching it, where it's like, <laughs> well, yeah, there's oh, yeah, like people with guns. Adam Sandler <laughs> fucks up and he dies. Like, there's stakes. My issue with this whole movie is like, I wasn't like. I wasn't sitting there in the way that like Jonathan is where it's like, get me out of here. I'm so tense. Or BJ's like, oh, this is so familiar. I can't leave. I'm stuck. I'm just sitting there going, you've got like a phone. You've got like probably like eight bucks. You just got paid. Call an Uber. You can just leave. Like there's there was no stakes for me. And so much of this boils down to how I like that this is so specific and yet so incredibly universal. But also 
I am not a person who has any kind of sense of, uh, of, of roots with my family. Like, we don't have tradition. We don't have, like, a culture that we maintained. Like, we sang happy birthday to Jesus every Christmas and then ate red and green jello that we got out of a box. So, like, we're not exactly, like, <laughs> deeply traditional. It's just kind of like, I don't know, we started doing that in the 80s and we never stopped. Um, so... This idea of, of of you have to tolerate your family uh, or it's with love. It's like, this is not how it resonates with me because my family talks wicked shit about each other. You did you screwed up one thing. You drove a golf cart when you were eight years old and they didn't teach you how to drive and drove it into a picnic table full of people because you're trying to dodge plastic long geese. They're going to bring that up for the rest of your life and not in a nice way. <laughs> so that's just... This this does not hit right for me, and being that I've cut off my entire family, because um, barring a couple cousins, there's not really anybody that's like super worth keeping around. I, I have one aunt who's actually pretty nice, but like I still we're still not in touch. It's just I would be open to conversing with them, I suppose. But mm-hmm. this definitely doesn't land in a way for me where I'm tense because. For me, cutting my family off was always an option. Like that that feels like Danielle could do it. She she wants to have power. She wants to have independence, but she's not. And I guess is the juice worth the squeeze? Is that independence worth, you know, does that independence and ridding yourself of the stress of like situations like this where your entire family judges you? Is is that worth losing all of the good things with it? And mm-hmm. I suppose She's not at that breaking point yet. Um, one thing I think is just really interesting about this movie is that the, the scenes where she's not in the house itself, is there's way less tension. It's just being in this enclosed space with so many of these relatives who all are, like, judging her very harshly for all of her life decisions. Like, when she's outside with Maya and they kiss, it's like... Yeah, it's a little tense, but there's levity when they're walking um, the lady to her car who doesn't have a license and she scares me because she's going to kill someone. <laughs> like, that's a funny scene. And there's levity when her dad, who I love, um, he he's he feels like the most warm person in the entire movie to me when he's just trying to and he's blissfully unaware of it, trying to get everyone who has all these problems with each other into the same car. Like, that's funny, and, like, it's awkward, but it's not tense in the same way. Like, so much of this is just confined to being trapped in this house, and it doesn't feel like she has to be, at least to me. And BJ says, that's because you didn't grow up as a girl, and they didn't judge you the same way that they judged me or anybody else or Danielle or whoever. There's a lot to be said about people who have been trying to break down and dismantle the idea of like social conditioning and, you know, what have you for gender nonconforming people. But there are realities that culturally in some families that like, yes, boys and girls are absolutely socialized differently. There is so much more of a sense of obligation. There is so much more of like this this sense of you have to be here and be present and be willing to help and be willing to do whatever that a lot of times the sons do not have that same semblance of obligation. And when it comes to something like a shiva or a funeral or whatever, like women are supposed to be nurturers. So whether or not it's been intentional or or not, there is sort of this de facto, like, let me direct things to to the to the daughter. And especially if you're the oldest daughter, like that is a whole other realm. Um, but what what conversations the two of us were happening as we were watching this movie is Harmony just kept saying, just leave. 
Like, you can leave. And I'm like, but she, but she can't, though. <laughs> and Normandy's no. like, but she can. She absolutely, sh-. and I was like, yes, I know. She, like, yes, she physically can. She can call an Uber. She can walk. Like, I know she literally can, but That's she, great. but she can't. And, like, <laughs> it's very hard to explain that level of obligation to people who don't have to do that. And it it's just... It's like it's impossible to explain. Like if if you know, you know, and if you don't know, then God, you're lucky <laughs> that you don't know what this feels like because it sucks. And it's it's very much connected to gender. Like I I mean I'm still working on this stuff with with, with my with my therapists plural right now in the sense of like feeling like not jealous of my brother but dealing with resentment about how differently we were both treated because it's rooted in a lot of emotional abuse from my booby, from my grandmother, my dad's mom. And, um, you know, the girls in the family were always kind of considered less, well, not less than, and this is a really kind of, uh, it's some, it's a very subconscious thing that my grand, that my booby does. And it's not, she's, in her 90s she's not aware of it she will never be aware of it she will die not aware of it Mm -hmm. i've come to peace i'm at peace with that Mm -hmm. but the boys in the family were always you know little saints and could do no wrong and the girls were not but girls who married into the family were you know heaven sent or something to that effect so like you know my brother's uh partner emma who's been with for over a decade, I want to say by now. Um, she has this amazing job. She works as an actuary. So it's digestible, number one. So that like what we were talking about before, it's a it's a job that you can actually pinpoint and say, oh, yes, mm-hmm. quantifiable. Mm-hmm. Yes, profit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she, uh, you know, she has, she dresses really nicely and she paints and she makes art and she also cooks and she bakes and everything she makes is delicious and all of these things. And these factors all make her a very interesting woman worth knowing. And anytime this stuff comes up, I'm kind of sitting on the sidelines, like flailing my arms, metaphorically speaking, going like, hi, the fuck is wrong with you? I do all of this Uh and then some, (laughs) but like with my brother, he could always, he could, he could have left a shiva, for example. In fact, sometimes he did um, because he was going to meet up with friends. And I did not have the same freedom of movement. And it was because I was younger, number one. Like, there's a four-year age gap between us. But also because I'm a girl. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was a young girl in those situations, so he might have been able to leave because his friends could come and pick him up and they could go and fuck around and do whatever they were going to do. Mm-hmm. But, and also didn't help that I was viciously unpopular and bullied, so I, I didn't have friends to come and pick me up anyways. But I couldn't make those choices for myself because they weren't really choices. And at the same time, like the way you're saying, Harmony, how... It's clear that Danielle wants to leave. She, you know, she or she wants to cut some of her family off. She doesn't like that. That much is crystal clear to me. She she never wants to cut her family off. She loves her parents, but they drive her fucking insane because that's kind of part of the contract as a Jewish parent is you have to drive your kids a little insane at some point. But it's 
that that's where it comes down to kind of a cultural thing mm-hmm. with not being able to leave because it's kind of a communal sense of obligation. Mm-hmm. So everybody feels like they need to put in a certain amount of time. And if you're directly related to the deceased, like if it is a grandparent or an uncle or an aunt or so on and so forth or a cousin, and it's not like a distant relative or a relative of a relative, you want to be there because you, in at least in, in my family and in my personal experience, you do know all of these people in some capacity. And sometimes they're people that you do really like that you don't get to see outside of things like this. So there's kind of the desire to spend time with them. And sometimes you get to, and it's not crazy and chaotic and it's actually kind of calm and nice, but yeah, getting a bunch of Jews in a room after a funeral is kind of like boiling a pot of water. You've got atoms (laughs) moving real fucking fast and talking real fucking fast and (laughs) over each other and all of this. And it's, it's a tense environment to be in if you're not used to it because it just looks like painful chaos. Uh-huh. But it's actually very comforting and orderly in a very peculiar way. And all these these like the the conversations that they don't want to be a part of. I mean, she she's stressed about other things, let's be honest. She's getting caught in an affair. Yeah. But uh-huh. um, <laughs> but the closed quarters are definitely designed to be more anxiety inducing for sure and they filmed it in an actual house rather than on a set for that specific purpose to make it feel more claustrophobic Mm -hmm. because it is claustrophobic and you're being forced to like deal with all of this shit and relatives you haven't seen since you were in diapers and they changed your diapers and you know all of the questions and the badgering and 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 but it's when you're ready to leave usually your parents are ready to leave and then that's usually when you do leave mm-hmm. so it kind of becomes a, a common decision you just feel that it's time yeah actually yeah it's very peculiar but yeah and then there's like an agreement and then you go and then you have you know you you say your goodbyes which take an hour so you have to plan for those mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you and then you go but it's the notion that she could have hopped in an Uber and just left is like, that's not even on the table. That was never on the table. Cause this isn't the type of situation that she would need to like ex- uh, excise herself from, or like remove herself from for her safety or well being. This is just a family event. You look stunning. Oh, thank you. Absolutely gorgeous. Yes. So, any boyfriends? Um, no, not yet. Or right now. I'm so excited about graduating. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm, uh, I have, like, some exams left, and then, um, I have some interviews that I'm gonna really? do. Really? You didn't tell me. Where? I'm, well, I don't think you know the places. Do you still make those little videos? I always thought those were so fun. I haven't done one in a while. So, acting is still your goal. No, it's like comedy, stand-up. What was your major again, sweetie? I don't know, she doesn't have a major, Mom. Uh, She makes it up. But you, like, you got a diploma. Yeah, I think it was politics. Now, I'm trying to think if I know anybody. I always remember you were such a humanitarian growing up. You wanted to go on that trip and and, and feed the homeless and teach English in the Orient? My major was sort of like women and gender studies through the lens. Oh, so you could run marches, like with the pink pussy hat. Yes, exactly. That's such a good idea, right? You love to march and you love...
This is fascinating because this is one of those situations where, like, we were talking about it earlier in terms of, like, talking over someone or interjecting into a conversation. And, like, that's just done as, like, being more involved in the conversation. It's a way of showing love. I talk like an Italian despite not being one at all. I'm pure, uncut Eastern European. But the thing about it that's interesting is that this scans so unbelievably alien to me because the only my family bj's met my family they don't talk ariel like i don't know how to explain this like we had thanksgiving dinner in like abject silence with the exception of like old men occasionally groaning at a football game it was so quiet and i felt the need of like do i need to throw mashed potatoes like what is happening like it's so quiet it's bizarre it's so weird (laughs) does not converse uh they don't drink at events they only talk if they want to ask, like, how you're doing, in which they will judge you for not understanding what you do or what you're up to. or Like, oh, what do you mean you work at a gas station, you failure? Like, that's the vibe that they give you when oh, you're talking boy. about lives. It's not with love. There's no, like, and there's there's no warmth to it. People talk to bring up some stuff you did 10 years ago, 15 years ago, so they can make fun of you for like, oh my God, remember when you cried on the Tower of Terror ride because you were five? Ha, you you pussy. Like, that's a thing that my family does. And so this to me feels so unbelievably cold and unpleasant. And the ice cold? Yes. This this is not a warm environment to me. And this this is actually, we did a Patreon episode kind of like this about how... um, Yellow Jackets doesn't resonate with me specifically because I love that we're reaching a point where our stories are still fairly universal in terms of like their feelings, but in terms of like the people that are telling stories, in terms of the people who are being shown in stories, it's getting more specific and it's not meant to cater to everyone. And I love that so much, but that just means that sometimes things feel they don't they don't feel right to you because they don't speak to your experience and they read completely differently, especially if it's such a universal cultural feeling that you're not a part of. And like that's kind of where I'm at with this movie where like this is just unpleasant, but it it, it doesn't feel like I'm trapped. It's not like tense like a thriller. That's that's what this movie feels like with genre for me, where it's like it's, it's got funny moments, but I wouldn't consider it a comedy. I would say, like, if you were to rank at least if I were to rank it in terms of genre, it's, it's got elements of a thriller. Uh, it's, got, it's, it's a drama. It's the catch-all blanket term of, like, an indie film. It's an LGBT film. But, like, comedy is maybe the fifth genre that I would say this fits into, at least from my experience of it. And it just scans differently. And I think that that's a really great thing and one of its biggest strengths. But it just... It, it doesn't land with me in a way that is warm or comforting at all. <laughs> and like, and, and what's interesting is as much as this movie gives me anxiety because it taps into a very specific part of my life that I have not fully really dove into unpacking yet because I don't want to because it's hard. Um, <laughs> but there is that warm familiarity, at least for me, like this past week, was uh, on my mom's side of the family. So my dad's side of the family, like that is like the hardcore Italian side. And like some of them I'm very, very close with. Some of them I am not close with because we like just don't really know them because they may or may not have been part of organized crime. So we're not allowed to know them. Um, (laughs) So, you know, there's that. That's fun. But my mom's side of the family, which is uh, who we're much closer with, 
every year uh, around like graduation season, there is a massive graduation party usually in whoever has the richest house's backyard or if if it's your turn and you're like poor like when my family did it we like rented out the moose lodge because we don't need to see y'all don't need to see how we live um (laughs) but the graduation party is to celebrate anybody who's graduated eighth grade high school or college that year but it also serves as like a de facto kind of family reunion for once a year. Everybody gets together and just like showers the kids with money. And it's really nice and very kind and wonderful because it's our chance to get together. But every familial event, every holiday, not as much anymore because my family is now spread out all over the country because retirement, jobs, moving, all of that. But um, our lives are nothing but uh, collaborative over-talking is the phrase. Um is it's all of that. It is constantly that. And I part of me is sad that my family is so fractured in terms of our just geographical location at this point because it means that Harmony is likely never going to get to experience that in the positive way where there's like seven conversations happening in one room and you learn how to like isolate who you're talking to. and it, it, But at the same time, yep. you can like peripherally like hear what's going on over there, but you act like you're engaged with the person in front of you. Like it's, yep. it's such a weird <laughs> mind fuck <laughs> that happens. But um, I, I guess Harmony. I exactly what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. So like you get it. But Harmony, I'm curious in like the small amount of time that you were able to spend with like my parents and me, um, like when we did visit them, uh, what was that like for you of being in a house where there is collaborative overtalking and there is people like yelling from room to room and, you know, occasionally giving each other shit uh, because you can? I think when we visited your parents, I think that they were putting on like their best th- their best face because they they didn't want to scare me away because we had just <laughs> gotten married. And that was my first time like hanging out with them, aside from when we were like drinking in a hotel lobby so that your dad could watch the playoffs like <laughs> That was that was we we walked through the rain to a liquor store to come back with alcohol so that we could hang out in their hotel room lobby when they visited yeah. Cleveland. Yeah, that was fun. So like that was fun. That's warm. I love that. Um, my family's cold, and despite the fact that I walked through freezing rain in like February or whatever. Um, but I, I don't think visiting your parents was like the real experience of hanging out with them. I think when it was uh, like Thanksgiving or whatever it was last year and your mom had us on FaceTime and was just wandering around the house, frequently walking away from the Wi-Fi so it would just freeze for long periods of time while drinking and everyone scratching off lottery tickets and also forgetting that she was on a FaceTime call with us and would just put the phone down and walk away. That feels much more like the true experience (laughs) of hanging out with the Colangelos. And I think it's great. Yeah. Just chaos. Absolute chaos incarnate. Um, that's the thing. BJ was like, I'm worried that my family is going to show you love and it's going to make you uncomfortable. It's it's uh, it, it's Aww. it's like Steve Buscemi in Con Air where he's like physical yeah. love causes them pain because he's only used to misery <laughs> uh-huh. or whatever the quote is. Like, that's what BJ was a little afraid of. And no, it was, it was fine. <laughs> it was quite lovely. It was like after I had that Thanksgiving at Harmony's house and I was like, this is a room of silence. There's... Oh, man. Nothing. Like, it was so uncomfortable, especially because, like, I'm used to a situation like a Shiva baby. I'm used to being at a table and people are asking about what you've eaten and what you haven't eaten while simultaneously, who are you fucking simultaneously? How do you make money simultaneously? Like, all of that at once. And you have to kind of, like, roll with the punches. Like, I'm very used to that. Mm -hmm. So, like, sitting there and just eating dry turkey in silence 
is a special brand of hell that I never want to revisit. Um, so as much as like, as much as something like Shiva Baby makes like Harmony like, oh, I want to leave. Um, something like Harmony's house, like I don't know how to act in that situation. Like if I had shown up at your house and everyone was screaming at each other, I would have been like, got it. I know how to deal with this shit all day. I can't deal with the silence. Like I don't know what to do <laughs> oh no someone only screams during the holidays uh at my family's house if someone showed up drunk and then they're everyone's mad at them so that's that's so it's a different kind of yelling yes. yeah that's the <laughs> only kind of like volume that you get you're either like pissed off 11 or everyone is like a hushed whisper a fun time at the holidays in my family is playing left right center with the children yeah, see that that would scare that I'd be yeah, no, that would cause me the kind of anxiety that this movie caused a lot of goys. That's yeah. <laughs> okay, see there we go. We're on opposite ends now. My family's terrifying. Got my, it. <laughs> my family is permanently just, so... just that vine of like, Luigi, why is the dog on the table? Dog's always on the table. <laughs> well get him off. Like, that's just my house twenty four seven. Every everything is a question and a yelling response. The idea of finding, it's so bizarre to me, like it's, it sounds so foreign to me to consider the setting of Shiva Baby to be cold, because mm-hmm. which is absolutely bizarre, but is a wonderful insight right now into how, into <laughs> right? how you process this. So it's very telling. And it's, it's just, I guess the other thing too is like, I have a really, really good relationship with the majority of my family. Like I'm not, I'm no longer on speaking terms with my bubby, who is the last remaining matriarch. Like my, on my mom's side of the family, my abuelito and my abuelita, they're both dead. My Zeta on my dad's side, he's gone and uh, passed away many years ago. And um, so there's just bubby and she will survive all of us out of spite. Um, But besides her, there aren't really that many Besides her and my stepdad, there aren't really that many members of my family that I've kind of cut off or like actively just, you know, called the metaphorical Uber and said, Mm -hmm. no, I'm leaving. But uh, otherwise, like on my mom's side of the family, whenever we get together for holidays, the house progressively gets louder and louder as more people show up. Mm -hmm. And we all wind up congregating in the kitchen, even though we've, you know said to each other 50 fucking times let's go sit in the living room or let's go sit oh but it's always the kitchen like it has to be the kitchen kitchen. (laughs) it has to be the kitchen like even if you're not cooking anything it like if the cooking is is simmering and there's nothing for you to do you'll still sit at the kitchen counter and like munch on snacks instead of picking at you know the veg that's on the table in the living room or something Mm -hmm. and and the living room couch that just never gets used. It's supposed to be for when company comes over, but no, everybody's in the fucking kitchen. <laughs> and, like, and the kids are running around and they're, you know, asking questions. And you, you've got that kind of simultaneous conversation going on where you can hear, like, I can hear my brother talking to my cousin Alex to my right, but I'm talking to my cousin Tammy in front of me, but I'm processing both conversations at the same time and trying desperately not to get distracted because I'm finding their conversation more interesting than ours. (laughs) (laughs) Like, not wanting to be rude, but also really loving to see my cousin because I haven't seen her in a long time. And like, those kinds of environments, for the most part, like Shiva Baby itself doesn't really feel this way, but it kind of, Hey, it kind of does. You know what? I'm just going to roll with it. <laughs> it feels like a warm hug. Like, 
it just feels like the vibe that I'm used to, which is loud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it's like we're a family of Polish Argentinian Jews. Yeah, we're going to be fucking loud. <laughs> And I think, too, I'm glad that you brought up the point that, like, you do still have a good relationship with the majority of your family, as do I. Harmony does not. And I think that is, like, I think that's the the X variable here of why this is so different of an experience for her versus us. Because, like, I kind of enjoy the obligation of being around my family, even when they drive me nuts. Whereas, like, Harmony doesn't have any of that enjoyment because I... Sorry, your family sucks. Um. Yeah, they do. Well, you, you have to take the good with the bad. And if you don't have enough good to offset the bad, then why would someone want to stick around, you know? Exactly. Like, mm-hmm. the stuff with my family that we, like, disagree on or that we have, like, you know, issues with, none of it's deal breakers to me. And the people who have expressed ideas or beliefs or behaviors that are deal breakers, they're not in my life because, you know... That's very Italian. You're dead to me. So, like, <laughs> that shit's really easy. Um, but in terms of, like, watching something like Shiva Baby um, and you have, like, you know, all of these multiple conversations, they also show it really well. Like, it's filmed very well where you can watch Danielle having a conversation with her mom. And we can hear her mom talking to her, but her eyes are across the room over at, you know, the the affair partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's <laughs> multiple stories going on, but then, like, you'll occasionally see Maya is watching Danielle basically shut out her mom who's talking to her and focus on this guy and look and she sees who she's focusing on and she can put all these pictures together. Like, it feels like everybody in this room is playing a game of chess at the same time and, like, everybody knows kind of what's going on if you're, you know, young enough to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and But then you also have, like, the the adults that are putting on their brave faces and putting on their kind faces of, like, oh, it's so good to see you. Oh, it's so nice to see you. And then they leave and it's just, like, you get a load of that shit. And it just kind of shows that these things that we see Maya and Danielle doing when they're younger, like this is going to continue. Like this is mm-hmm. like, we get to see who they're going to grow up into being obviously a little different. Cause they are the millennial, like, you know, cycle breakers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's their purpose in yep. their family. And that's great for them. Um, but at the end of the day, they do all end up getting smashed together in the same van, just a, the van of conflict. <laughs> and <laughs> The van of familial obligation. Yes, the, the van of obligation. But, you know, they, they do hold hands. They do, you know, express that they still care about each other because ultimately they also understand each other in a way that like a lot of people cannot and will not and will never be able to understand because that is such a specific experience and it is such like chaos to have to deal with this kind of shit. And it's part of what brings them together and has them like keep coming back together, which I think is, you know, very sweet and very lovely. And, you know, that's not to say that like everybody should only stick with their own kind, like, cause obviously that's bullshit, (laughs) but it does help a lot when you have somebody who does understand like your particular brand of baggage. Um, you know, if it's not the exact same, at least like something similar, I mean, I will fully out ourselves on this show. Like Ariel and I have frequent conversations on Slack at work of like our own family dynamics, because while they are different, they are so similar that like we can understand each other in terms of like, Mm -hmm. how would you communicate this to your family? Because chances are, it's probably a similar practice. (laughs) Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And it's like, 
Uh, it's so wild to me, too, because ugh, I love this movie so much for so many different reasons. Oh my God. <laughs> and that last scene, that last shot of them holding hands in the back of the car, I always connect to uh, for I've seen it, what, twice now? And I've always done this. But <laughs> the two times that I've seen it, it, it's like a reverse The Graduate. Mm-hmm. Because oh, instead of yeah. being left with... Instead of being left at the end with, you know, okay, you've made this big rambunctious decision, you've run off together, now what? It's, you've made a bunch of shitty decisions, everything's been chaos, and now you're in that much more chaos, but you're centered because you're together, and that's the right place to be, because you were somewhere you didn't belong. Mm -hmm. It's very lovely to me because i always i, I mean I, I don't like the graduate personally but it's it that's a cold ending that's a depressing fucking ending uh-huh. it's supposed to be but ugh. meanwhile this feels so much warmer yeah that but... is such a beautiful read on that ending and i very much subscribe <laughs> to this that's yeah that's beautiful <laughs> thank you are you um danielle's cousin or sister or something because you guys look you guys look really similar uh no but we do kind of look alike it's kind of fucked up we grew up together. Oh, so kind of like family. I don't know. We went to prom together. Oh, that's so sweet. It is so sweet. Yeah. You're right. She was like late and brought me a dead corsage. She wasn't dead. It was fully a dead flower. Oh. I, I feel like you two had a really fun prom. <laughs> you bet that we did, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We like had a limo. Uh-huh, yeah, you spiked the punch, you know, like puking everywhere. Like, mug and bye. And we like fucked. My she had her first <laughs> orgasm. What? It was the night to remember. Oh, sorry, Mort. Hey, Mort. How are you? Okay. It's good to see you. It is interesting, though, and it's very apt to mention that they, you know, Maya and Dan- and Danielle kind of understand each other. They have a shorthand in multiple different ways, both as the, the millennial kind of uh, cycle breakers, as you perfectly put it, uh, and also as Jewish women, but also as... Uh, bisexual women yes. I, I am assuming that maya is also bisexual i think that's the implication i think the implication is that she's bisexual um mm-hmm. but you know I, she might be somebody who does just lean fully queer because she doesn't really talk as much about like men in her life but mm-hmm. she has no mm-hmm. problem kind of like fucking with men and like i mean who doesn't right <laughs> and she and she also doesn't um have as much communal ire as Danny does, which makes me think that like either her becoming a lawyer is doing a lot of heavy lifting in in the good graces of the family, or mm-hmm. she is also bisexual and therefore like the chance of a man is still on the table, so they don't worry as much. And that's like that. Those are a lot of different ways to connect. I you know and that specific discussion of connection and that they have each other and like they can understand each other is so important in i mean it's important in every community especially with marginalized communities let's be honest but with jews especially it's there are so few of us in the world that it becomes harder and harder especially as you know i'm i'm an agnostic jew my husband is an atheistic jew uh, my mom is an atheistic Jew. My dad is agnostic. My brother's an atheist. My, you know, my in-laws are pseudo-religious at will. And that's a fucking, that's a whole thing. <laughs> but <laughs> it's like trying to 
explain your existence to somebody who isn't like you is hard. And sometimes it gets exhausting. And like the majority of the people that I've dated have been non-Jewish because I didn't meet a lot of Jews like me. And in many cases, I am kind of not Jewish enough because I've, I, I mean, I didn't have a bat mitzvah at 13, at 12 years old. Uh, when I was asked if I wanted to do a bat mitzvah or not, I said no, because I didn't believe in it. And I didn't want to use it to get a bunch of money when I didn't believe in it. Mm-hmm. And it was this important practice. So I was like, no, no, thanks. Um, and like, I was allowed. My brother wasn't. He, but he had like this hippie version of it. He had a B'nai Mitzvah where it was this group collaborative effort. And instead of reading from the Torah, he got to write a short story about a crow that was his coming of age story. And like weird shit like that, uh-huh. right? Like we're not Orthodox. We've never been Orthodox. Growing up in the Orthodox part of town was weird because they always kind of looked at us funny. And... <sighs> Finding John, finding my person who also happens to be Jewish, who I felt that kind of connection with, the way that it seems like Danny and Maya feel connected, changed everything. Because there is a shorthand and there is that kind of, you don't need to explain why you're devastated and heartbroken by the uptick in anti-Semitism or the shooting at the synagogue, Mm -hmm. because you're both feeling the same pain. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do is look at each other, hold each other's hands, and cry. And you don't have to do the legwork of the emotional labor of explaining why. Mm -hmm. And even just the cultural things, like defending, I had to come to my family's defense a lot with my ex because of not understanding the cross-talking and not understanding that it's, it's not interrupting. And that it's actually a sign of respect and being, you know, frequently hearing, oh, well, they're just rude and like getting yelled at for doing it at home. And it's like, that's not, this is actually literally my culture. This is how I grew up. Mm -hmm. It's a sign of respect. It's not an insult. It's a sign of engagement. of having to defend it. Yeah, exactly. And the effort of having to explain that is just fucking exhausting. And that's one of the things I that's that's something that I really love in this movie is that it does do that. It gives you that kind of depiction of, you know, finding the other Jewish person in the room who's as religious or not religious as you. Mm -hmm. It talks to you the way you need to be spoken to so that you don't have to do the legwork of explaining it to somebody else. Absolutely. I mean, Harmony and I have talked about it numerous times in just like random ways that it's appeared on the show, but I... I don't know. I don't want to speak for you, Harmony, but I think a major reason, (laughs) I think a major reason why Harmony and I do have like the compatibility that we do is that while obviously I am not a trans person, um, we both exist in the world as queer people, visibly queer people. We both Mm -hmm. exist in the world as people from, you know, that a marginalized identity. And we also exist in the world as people with similar brands of trauma that have affected the way that we, you know, deal with interpersonal relationships. And we both live in bodies that are frequently fetishized by other romantic partners um, or, you know, discounted completely because of our bodies. So Mm -hmm. we do have a little bit of, I I guess, like understanding where we don't have to actually explain it to one another. We just kind of get it. 
BJ, what's that uh, quote from Rent that you like to throw at me all the time? Uh, I, I I need baggage that goes with mine. Looking for baggage that goes with mine because I know yeah. that Rent's your least Aww. favorite movie musical ever. But yeah. that line, you, that how line, how dare just you works. do that and apply it to our life so often? <laughs> because it it's just it fits. It works so well. <laughs> It, that that does work perfectly, but I understand. <laughs> yeah, very much. And I think I think you're totally right, though, with with Shiva Baby. Like, there is obviously always going to be a level of connection that I'm not going to have with this movie because it's just something that I'm incapable of having as a non-Jewish person. Um, and that's a good thing. Like, I shouldn't mm-hmm. be able to be like, you know, I've seen Shiva Baby. I know what this is all about. <laughs> like that that shouldn't be a thing for me. And again, that's why representation is so important because mm-hmm. I'm able to consume this movie in a way that like works for me and like find what I need out of it. But this is going to be so much more impactful for the communities that don't get to see themselves in this way where, you know, you might not get to see your family as, as much as you would like. Um, or, you know, especially during things like the fucking pandemic where we weren't allowed to see anybody like this could be such a comforting film for people craving that sense of community. And that is beautiful. And that, that very specifically is a big fucking check mark for me. Cause yeah, I, I miss my family immensely. I haven't seen my family in two years because I've been in the U.S. and I'm getting my, you know, green card application take, done and it's taking me longer than normal because, hi, ADHD, I'm distracted. <laughs> but it's like, uh, so it's the same reason why I, I've watched and rewatched and rewatched Encanto so much mm-hmm. is because I see so much of myself in it but there is still so much of it that is not for me mm-hmm. and that's okay. It doesn't need to be for me. Exactly. Th- those, those still exist for the, for the people that it's designed for, but it's the same way that you can relate to this movie, BJ is like you see parts of yourself and parts of your family. You recognize familiarities in certain situations and certain emotions and feelings, the feelings of, you know, disappointing your family and, and letting people down or worrying about being a failure and not wanting to be and feeling like you're drowning, all of these things. Like, those are universal feelings. Mm-hmm. We all deal with them in different ways. And this is just one way that really applies. And uh, I, I could, oh, I could talk about this. <laughs> I could, I have, I literally have two full pages of, notes on like eight by ten feet sheets. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Who the fuck brings a baby to a shiver? She doesn't know. She's not Jewish. What do you mean? You told me she converted. Converted? She murdered. She doesn't even know how to say work a lot. You know what? I heard her dad was Jewish. That doesn't count. Well. Anyway, she's very charming. They seem very happy, very happy, sweet couple. Yeah, she seems like a pill to me. Mm, he's very hardworking. Oh, yeah, okay, a hardworking pill. You know what I don't understand? What? Nice yeah, Jewish boy mm-hmm. marries a shiksa yeah. when he could have any wonderful no, woman here. Like, right. look at this beautiful girl. Right? Like, right? Like, oh, like someone like wait, this? Wait, sweetie, beautiful. you got schmutz. Stop. I'm just oh, helping you. I'm just getting the schmutz off your face. There really aren't that many Jewish movies that, that don't feel like a stereotype that I can watch and feel at home in, in some way, other than like the three that come to mind are A Serious Man, Shiva Baby, and Uncut Gems. And Uncut Gems is a very Jewish movie. Mm-hmm. That is <laughs> that is a very Jewish movie in many, 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 many ways. 
Although I can't exactly say it makes me comfortable. I almost broke John's hand by constantly grabbing it during the, <laughs> the, the screening. Oh, it's so tense. But um, that type of representation, when you see it, it means the world. Mm-hmm. But we do need more of it. And it is, it's not just the, the Schindler's lists. Like, it's real, real, real fucking exhausting when the only representation you get, or the majority of the representation you get is in almost entirely about your victimization. Yeah. And the and the generational trauma that you have to carry and the responsibilities that you have to your to your heritage and to your lineage. Cuz like that's also where a lot of the queerness in 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 this kind of factors in. There's I mean, as you can see, there's the there's conversations about sex mm-hmm. and her mother and her her aunt or her cousin is like they're both like oh yeah you should sleep with at least this many people before you settle down and get married and you know go and do this and experiment and have fun like it's very it's if you're not orthodox it's quite sex positive because we don't have that whole save yourself for marriage thing right it's it's not Mm -hmm. it's not quite the same but like like my mom encouraged me to go out and not like go fuck anything that walks go have fun but like you know yeah no you should date a bunch of different people and and just experience people because you're young and that's what this time is for and there was never like a thought or a question about like you've had sex with how many people like ever not not once but the bisexuality thing creates an interesting conundrum because there is this very specific pressure as a Jewish woman to procreate and to procreate from your body because the way they do it, like they're, they're talking about, um, who are they talking about at the, at the Shiva? Someone who, well, his father was Jewish, but, but her mother wasn't or something like that. And they're like, Oh, well that doesn't count Mm -hmm. because it's technically it's a, (laughs) it's a patriarchal faith. And a patriarchal culture, but it's a matrilineal one, Mm -hmm. which is a little backwards. But you are what the mother is. So depending on who you ask, if your mother wasn't Jewish, but your dad was, you're technically not Jewish. If your mother didn't convert before you were conceived and then born, you weren't born Jewish. So you're not a real Jew. Like, I, I know a lot of... A lot of Jewish people, I'm thinking of one friend of mine specifically who I met when I went to Israel for the first time, and her mother wasn't Jewish. And so there were people on our trip who were like telling her that she wasn't really Jewish while we were there. And it was awful because fuck you. Like, no, (laughs) like... So there's all of this pressure, especially with the population being the size that it is, and there being less than 15 million of us in the entire world, and anti-Semitic hate crimes being as rampant as, as they are, and that causing higher death rates. And, you know, the fact that there are so few of us, and we are starting to live more secular lives and less orthodox lives, we're not finding each other. And some of us are feeling more obligated towards the faith as opposed to the culture or both. And they're sticking just to Orthodox Jewish communities and popping out as many kids as possible. Mm -hmm. But for the rest of us, for people like me and John who aren't religious, but no matter what happens, if somebody comes after the Jews again, we're going to be, 
we can't escape that. Mm. We cannot convert away from this. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's literally in our DNA. So fewer of us are finding each other. And then when you do, you have to have the debate about whether or not you want to have kids, which is already its own thing. But if you're queer, and if you marry someone of the same sex, or even if your partner is just someone of the same sex, and you don't, you, you don't get married, whatever, which, <gasps> gasp, there's the fear that you won't give them grandchildren. And the fear of not giving them grandchildren isn't so much so that it's, it's, it is very much like I want to be a grandparent, but it's also the knowledge that, that the family will go on, that the, that the, the lineage will continue Mm -hmm. and not in like a way of making your mark on the world so much as it is that we've been trying to get our, our population up for literal centuries Mm -hmm. and the war kind of put a damper on that and it's been plateaued since then Mm -hmm. so like this is the shit that we think about and this is the shit that that's also weighing on us a lot like her parents are pressuring her and like oh well it's just a phase you're not actually bisexual like it's it's just a phase it's just a phase because there's there's a communal fear of not procreating and there is a sense of obligation. And you're, are you letting the culture down if you don't have kids? Mm-hmm. And what if you can't have kids? And what if you adopt because you do marry into a same-sex marriage and you don't have a surrogate and you don't have the money for IVF or, 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 or. like there's a million different ways that that could happen where you don't actually have your own kid. Mm-hmm. And like... What if you do have a surrogate and you use your egg, but the surrogate isn't Jewish? Then how are people going to think about it? Mm-hmm. And you have these are the this is the shit that, ha- that 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 occurs to us, right? So like, Danny's got all of this on her shoulders, and her parents are all thinking about this while they're trying to make it clear that she's going to be okay, so their family's going to be okay, so the legacy will continue. And it's just it's like everybody's standing on everybody else's shoulders, and they're reminding you of it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that that is, I'm so glad that you brought up all these points because I think that that's something also that people need to take away with in in terms of cultural specificity is that we don't have the same generational traumas. Like we can relate to them, but especially when it comes to the Jewish community, like not a lot of us can say that we almost lost our entire culture due to just blatant fucking hatred. Like, not a lot of us can say that our families have experienced genocide. Like, there's genocide all over the world, obviously. Like, the Holocaust was not mm-hmm. the first, nor was it the last. Um, no. But to to the extent, um, like, you, you can't, which is also why it is just absolutely bananas whenever anybody compares anything to the Holocaust. Cause it's like, you can't, what are you doing? Um, yeah. y- y- it's incomparable. Um, but that is a very specific type of familial trauma and generational trauma that no matter how much we can relate to a movie like Shiva baby as like, you know, non-Jewish people, that specific generational trauma, we cannot understand and we can sympathize with people but we will never truly be able to empathize because there's no way for us to know what that feels like. And that's what makes this movie so brilliant to me is because all of that like secondhand don't have to explain it information that you have so just graciously explained to all of our listeners who may <laughs> not have had that. Like no one in that room had to point that out. 
No one in that room had to have a monologue about why it's difficult for Danielle and Maya to be together because what that means to the family. Like, it doesn't exist there because this is a movie written with Jewish audiences in mind where that is secondhand and you don't need that to be explained to you. And I think that that's great because we need more movies (laughs) like that where we don't have to handhold the the explanation. And if you have that secondhand, then it only enhances your experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not even like that's not even something that necessarily applies to everybody. But I, I, I like I've had conversations about m- my own personal feelings of of obligation towards having kids and whether or not I actually want to have kids and with other Jewish women who, again, I don't have a lot of Jewish female friends even in like my world. So it's it's, a, it's a, it can be a little lonely sometimes. I'm not going to lie, but it's it's not something that applies to everybody. And there aren't. You know, I'm sure there are Jewish women out there who don't think about that at all Mm -hmm. and just are unburdened by it. And there are Jewish men out there who are who likewise don't tend to think about it. Um, Their parents definitely do in some regard. And, you know, even (laughs) I'm lucky. I'm very lucky that I have parents who are really loving and wonderful and supportive and like understand and even you know my mom and I have talked about the fact that it would be fucking insane to have kids right now but like meanwhile my in-laws are asking us so when are you gonna start trying for kids (laughs) and John and I are looking horrified like no fuck off please go away (laughs) but like yeah it's there's so much in this that's being communicated and it's funny because related to that I was anticipating Doing, in doing this, I was anticipating getting a lot of questions about like, well, what does this mean? And what does this mean? Like with this, and I specifically wrote one down and I'm, I'm only now realizing that it was like, I'm so used to people just like actually just using me as a source of Jewish information mm-hmm. rather than like having an active conversation like this. Mm-hmm. But like the bowl of water, for example, mm-hmm. when she goes to wash the, I guess the, the hot coffee off of her and you know, Danielle is like, should we be doing this? And she's like, God will forgive us. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was anticipating that I'd be asked, what's the bull? What's the deal here? So something that I hope you will appreciate um, is anything that I didn't know, um, I just looked up because I was like, it's not my oh, my that. Jewish friends' jobs <laughs> to like explain this to me. Like one of them that I will, I will totally admit is um, – I was like, I know what chiksa means, but I don't know like where it ranks on like the offensive scale from like goyim to shiksa. Like, where does it fall in here? So like, I looked up a bunch of different things about it because I'm like, I just want to know because another thing we've talked about this like Ariel and I separately and also Harmony and I separately is like there are a lot of like Jewish expressions and phrases that have sort of like cross cultured into a lot of our vernacular that we just use without realizing that it's like a Yiddish word. Um, Mm. So it's one of those things where it's like I've heard somebody say this before. What were they saying? And I look it up. I'm like, wow, that was mean. That's derogatory. Okay. (laughs) Um, So I I do, I I think I wish more people would do this kind of shit. And I don't know why, like the internet is free. We have the, the lies, the internet's not free, but it's, it's very, if you are listening to this podcast, you have fucking access to the internet. So you know that I'm not talking about like other people. Um, But like, if you're watching a movie and you're like, what does this actually mean? Fucking Google it, my dudes. Like, it's not hard. (laughs) 
And there's a lot of resources out there, and you don't need to put the emotional labor on your friends to do it for you. Um, so yes, we anything that we didn't know, we just looked it up. So like that was a uh, you know. <laughs> Nice and easy. I was like, I don't want to bog this episode down with being like, and Ariel, could you please explain to me why salmon on bagels is a common Jewish snack? <laughs> like, you don't fucking need to do that. It's fucking Lox Bagel. Calm down. Um, <laughs> I appreciate you both so much. Oh, my God. You have no idea how happy this makes me. <laughs> All righty. So I think that we're getting to a place where obviously we could dissect and analyze and there's so much rich history and cultural uh, conversations to be had about this movie but um, for the for the sake of the episode we will we will wind down so harmony I'm going to ask you the question uh-huh. Shiva baby is asking you to the prom is it a yes a no a maybe or are you buying her a ticket so she can go on her own I think one of the greatest gifts that Twilight, the film series, gave to culture and to our podcast was that it gave us the sending a movie to prom on their own option because I respect this movie. I appreciate this movie. It is not for me because it just feels weird, though I understand it significantly more after having this conversation and I appreciate it a lot more. So I'm glad everyone else can enjoy it. I have a new, a, a greater love for it, but I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> and that's totally fair. Yay. And as always, to any of our listeners, like Harmony's decision on whether or not something is going to prom with her is specific to her. We are not arbiters of art or culture. Or, oh, we're, not, or, we're not cataloging these movies. No, 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 no. This is just specifically <laughs> the question is to Harmony. So... Keep that in mind before anybody starts freaking out. Like, I can't believe. It's fine. It's not It's not that big of a deal. But Ariel, I just want to thank you again for being with us. You have just been so fantastic. And thank you for being honest and vulnerable and, you know, so knowledgeable about this movie. It's been wonderful. Where can people find you on the internet if you want them to actually find you? Oh, <laughs> Uh, you can find me on pretty much all socials at AFIS8, A-F-I-S-8. I find I need to spell, I don't know why I spell that every time, but I've been doing it for years. Um, and uh, it, except on TikTok, which is AFIS period eight, because some asshole took the other one. Um, <laughs> and you can find my work in Fangoria Magazine and on SlashFilm.com and uh, probably somewhere else at some other point. I don't know. <laughs> Beautiful. And as always, friends, you can find our show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends Up Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And as always, huge thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use the song title as our theme song. We love you so very much. You're all brilliant. I'm happy to see that they're uh, they're starting to record again. So that's great. Yes, yes, they are. And typically, this is where we have Harmony introduce like a cool indie band that fits into the world of this movie. No, but you're on TikTok this time. So you were like, <laughs> I know the perfect person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we were like, we really wanted to cover uh, specifically a Jewish artist that was very much like at the forefront. And we wanted to focus on, if we could, a Jewish female artist. Like we really wanted to do that. And then we realized like everybody that we normally would have suggested 
suggested. Harmony has suggested already. Um, uh, <laughs> but there is a singer that I have been listening to for a bit that I quite like. Um, she goes by Baum, like B-A-U-M. Um, very much feels like stylized, like how Haim is, which I really like. Um, but Baum is a singer-songwriter from New York based out of Los Angeles. Um, she has been called the queer Jewish princess of dark pop. Um, a lot of people have compared her to like a queerer, edgier Carly Rae Jepsen, which I think is very accurate. Um, but the singer is Jewish. She's bisexual. She also sings about how she has had a lot of body image issues. And I was like, holy shit, there is no one on the planet more perfect to talk about <laughs> in the context of Shiva Baby than Bomb. So give her a listen. She's awesome. Uh, a big fan of her song Fuck Boy, uh, where she talks about herself being a fuck boy, which again, I also think is kind of perfect for Danielle. Um, mm-hmm. So this is like the most perfect companion band. And so check out Bomb. Uh, she fucking rolls. And that takes us out on Shiva Baby. We will see you all next week. And as always, save that last dance for us. A goodbye. Bye. Feminism isn't exactly what I call a career. It's not my career, it's a lens. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.